I, I don't know when it's going to happen. I assume maybe, uh, hopefully sooner than later, probably be months from now, but there, there will be a day that will come and I don't know whether it'll be the president, whoever the president is at that time, or whether it will be Dr. Fauci or who it'll be, but someone will stand up in a conference, in a press conference that's covered by Fox News, CNN, all the major networks, and they're going to say these words that we've been waiting to hear for months. You can now pass communion trays in the church. So I can't wait till that, uh, that day happens. We're, we're just weeks away now from one of the greatest celebratory meals of the year. Yes, Thanksgiving's almost here. Uh, it's almost here with all of its traditions. Now, the families, uh, we could take some time. We're not going to do it. We could take time and talk about what, what your particular uh, traditions are. But, but, but in a general way, there's, there's going to be certain foods that, that, that are somewhat traditional. There'll be probably turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy. And maybe some of you will have green bean casserole or sweet potatoes or uh, sweet potato casserole is what we have at our house, or or cranberries, uh, and, and whether you have the real cranberries or that that can that you plop out and it's got the the ribs of the side. Now, if cranberries are so good, why do we only eat them one time a year? Is the question I would have. But but they're still a tradition. Stuffing pumpkin pie as well as as so many other traditional foods that that maybe served your family's celebration. But there's one. There's one other tradition tradition that appears, for the most part, appears only at Thanksgiving. If you're from a small family, family you you may not be aware of this, but if your family is moderately large or a, a large family, this will show up on Thanksgiving Day. It's the kids' table. If if you're from a large family, you know what the kids' table is. Now now if there's a kids' table, then the opposite of that is true uh, as well. Then there must be an adult table. See, the adults get to sit at the table with, with with adult conversation. They they get to sit at the real table, the big table. They get to sit at the table that has all the food already on that table. Uh, whereas kids get sent to a corner on a oftentimes an old wobbly card table that's pulled out of the closet one time a year. Or or maybe if you upgrade, you call the church and see if you can borrow one of our tables, uh, which we're going to do this year. Uh, but, but the reality is there's kids. So just out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you had to sit at one time or another at the kids' table? Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of big families in the church. Keep, keep up being uh, fruitful and multiplying, guys. Uh, uh, the problem with the kids' table, though, is there, as far as I know, now maybe there's something I'm not aware of, th- there's no hard or fast rule. There's no... There's no manual to turn to that tells you when you get to move from the kids' table to the adult table. When is it? Is it is it when you when you go to junior high? Is it when you become a high school student? Is it is it when you uh, get your driver's license? Uh, for 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 me, growing up in Illinois, that was 16, but Kansas, that's 14. So so you get your driver's license because every kid in Kansas is a farmer, right? <laughs> At least when it comes time to get your driver's license, uh, when do you? Is it when you turn, when you go to college or when you get married? When when is it? I I would assume some of you would remember that uh, that time when you finally graduated, you finally got bumped up to the the adult table. For me, Rita was my get out of jail free card. The first Thanksgiving that she joined 
my family at my grandma and grandpa Hartman's where we celebrated Thanksgiving every, every year. I, I got to ride her coattails because they weren't going to put lovely Rita at the kids' table, so I got to follow her to the adult table. We started looking last week at a passage that challenges us to move on to maturity, to move on, if you will, move on to the uh, adult table. And it does that in part by asking this question. It, it, it's a tough question for us. I, I pointed that out last week when we started that we don't, we don't want to think of this for ourselves. And, and I imagine the, the, the Jewish Christians that were, were hearing and reading this letter for the first time, I imagine they took a little offense at what was said. But, but he asked the question then and, and it's for us as well. Are you, are you a baby? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. We're gonna, we're gonna look in uh, chapter 5 and chapter 6. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 11, and we're gonna read down through verse, uh, 3 of chapter 6, and then in a, in a moment or so, we're gonna back up into chapter 5 a little bit, uh, more. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 11, there it says this, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you, because you no longer try to understand. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be mature, is what he's saying. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now remember last week we pointed out that milk's not bad. Milk is nourishing for a baby. Milk milk helps you grow. So so spiritual milk, and we'll see what that is here in a minute, spiritual milk is good, but, but we should have moved on uh, to something besides that. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk still being an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That's what we need to go on to. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, chapter 6. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and, and be taken forward to maturity. That's the goal. Not laying again the foundation, and here's the, the spiritual milk, even though all this stuff's important. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. And permitting, we will do so. And God permitting, we will do so. So what we pointed out last week, that we might still be a baby if we're hanging on to that kind of stuff. If, if we're still on the bottle, if we've not moved on to solid food, if we've not moved on to righteousness and trained ourselves that way. Uh, but but we see good news. Verse Three said that that God permitting we will will move on. So so there's hope that we can move on to maturity. So we don't have to remain one. We don't have to remain as a child. We pointed out last week, and then we'll get started on on this week's text uh, or this week's ideas. We pointed out last week that that there might be a, a risk if if we're to move on to maturity if. If we move past being uh, on spiritual milk, that there will be a risk. We 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 illustrate the idea that to to mature, you always take risks. As a, a child, a child has bumps and bruises and scrapes uh, and and scars because they're growing towards maturity. So, so so the reality is, when we try to mature in Christ, we're going to fail sometimes. Whether whether we choose to, to to start studying His Word or or being more committed to to, uh, to fellowship, or whatever it might be, we're gonna we're gonna stumble and we're gonna fall and we're gonna skin our knees sometimes. But 
but that's the risk that we have to take if we want to reach maturity. So, so here's the second point. Not only is there a risk, now we may not want to hear this, but, but I think we see it in the text as well. There is a cost. There is a cost. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story that, that I know you're familiar with. It's when Jesus fed the 5,000. Uh, now that was 5,000. Uh, pro, uh, adults, probably 5,000 men. So, so he probably fed well more than 5,000 that day. And we're, we're familiar with that story. In fact, his disciples had to have been stoked a, after that event. I mean, 5,000, may, maybe upwards to 10,000 people were there that day. And, and they were so enthralled with what Jesus was saying that they forgot to eat. They forgot to even bring any lunch. All they had was a couple loaves and a few fish. And, and Jesus ended up feeding them all. So I'm sure his disciples I imagine they were doing the mental math on like, wow, we've got all these people following us. Now Jesus has fed them miraculously. This is just going to blow up. It's going to explode. We're going to get so popular. Man, some great things going to happen. But right after Jesus performed that miracle, he pulled his disciples aside. So right on the heels of of, of feeding five to 10,000 people and then collecting 12 baskets of leftovers, Jesus pulls his disciples aside in Luke chapter 9 and he predicts for the very first time, it's the first of three times that he does this, Jesus predicts for the very first time that he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die. That, that, that he will go to Jerusalem, he will die and three days later be raised from the dead. They're, they're on a high, spiritual high. Wow, all these people, all this excitement. And then Jesus says, I, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. Now, now we know we've talked about it several times in the past. They they didn't pick up on it. They didn't realize what he was talking about. They didn't have any idea what he meant by that. But he goes on and then tells them, and this is what he what he says there. He tells them there's going to be a cost. If you're going to follow me, it comes at a, a cost. Some some of your Bibles might even at the start of this text might might have the the heading. Uh, as a descriptor, the cost of discipleship. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. Uh, l- let's read some verses. You're probably very familiar with these verses, but, but let's, uh, uh, let's see what he says there. Luke chapter 9, starting verse 23. He says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to come after me, whatever your, your version might say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny him themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is if if is it for someone to gain the whole world and let yet forfeit or lose their very self? Uh, Jesus says there is a cost. If you want to be like me, there's going to be a cost. Now, now I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Because Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. Uh, I hope you caught it there. Uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna suggest that being a disciple of Jesus, that truly following Jesus and reaching maturity in Him, is going to be easy. Because Jesus doesn't say that it's going to be easy. In fact, if you want to be mature in Christ, it comes at a cost. Uh, if you're there in Hebrews, if you're not, go back. Uh, go back to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's back up. We, we looked at these verses last week as well. Back up to verse 7. 
And we're going to see two things that that uh, that Jesus did, two two things that we must do if we're going to count the cost, if we're going to pay that cost to be mature. Look at verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. Now, we mentioned last week that probably what He's referring to there, what He's talking about is when when Jesus was in the garden the night that He was arrested, when He was sweating drops of blood and He was calling out to God, if you can take this from me, please do, but not your will, but my, not my will, but your will be done. So it says, to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because, now catch this, he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So here's the first thing. Jesus was submissive. Now, now the the... It's translated there in my Bible, reverent submission. It's actually one word in Greek. And and the Greek word there that's translated reverent submission is kind of an interesting word. Now, now everything that you might think when you read that phrase or heard that phrase, reverent submission, everything that might have just kind of popped in your head is probably true. Uh, the idea of, of respect or submission, you're, you're good, you're good, you're good with that. It, it has the idea of piety or or uh, or a godly fear. Now, when I say godly fear, I don't mean that we cower from God, that we're scared of God, but but more of a godly reverence and and we respect God and and we we realize His great power. It has all that ideas, but the Greek word actually means if if you translate it directly, it means this: to take well. So, so he said. Be, because Jesus was heard because he took well. We, we are submissive when we take well. The, the first cost of maturity is that we have to hear, now catch this, we have to hear what God says to us. We have to hear what his word says to us. We have to, to, to hear what scripture tells us and then take it well. Let me let me illustrate this way. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I I talked about uh, uh, that 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 on occasion I talked about my son Joel uh, missing a shot at the end of a basketball game, and and I I just made reference to the fact that sometimes I I look back and I I regret the fact that I maybe was too hard on him sometimes, tried to coach him too much, but but the reality is with my with my boys, as they were growing up, whether they were young or even up into high school, uh, I I. I would coach them and I would, I would give them pointers and, and, and here's what they did. They took it with, now I don't think they would use this terminology. I'm, I'm tying scripture in here. They took it with reverent, reverent submission. Uh, now, not, not really, but they took it well. I, I could talk to them. I could encourage them, uh, whether it was sports or, or other things. I could talk to them and they would listen to me because they knew who I was. They, they saw me as their dad and they, respected that. So I could say to Brian or Joel or Caleb, hey, this is what you need to do. and This is what you did wrong. And if you had changed this, it would make a difference. And they would listen. They didn't, they, they didn't always do what I said, but they would at least listen to me. They took it well. Now let me contrast that. <laughs> let me contrast that with my daughter. 
uh, Crystal was 15 when she came to live with us. And a lot of things were already cemented in her way of thinking. Uh, and, and I remember going out, uh, out the back door to, uh, in front of our garage where we had our basketball go one, uh, one, one spring day. She hadn't been with us very long, just a few months. And, and we went outside with the basketball and, and she was shooting. And, uh, and, uh, and I said to Crystal, I said, Crystal, you know what? If, if you would, uh, get your elbow under, uh, and, and if you get the ball a little bit more in your fingertips and, and, uh, uh and, and I just had barely got the words out and she gave me a look. She gave me a look and, and I realized that I'd crossed the line. I didn't even know there was a line that, that had to be crossed there, but I definitely crossed the line and, and she gave me a look and then she said to me, Dad, I know what I'm doing. I, I smiled at her. I, I kind of smiled at her, but inside I was saying, no, you don't. <laughs> You're terrible, Kristen. You can't shoot worth a lick. I didn't say that. I don't think anyway. Uh, but I, I, I smiled and, and I said, and, and so then I lied to her. You're not supposed to do that. I apologize. I hope the kids are all downstairs. I, I said, yeah, your shot's pretty good, Crystal. That was a lie. It was terrible. But I said, your shot's pretty good. But it could be even better if you, and I had, I didn't even get the words out, and she threw the ball at me, turned around, and stomped into the house. To, to put it, uh, to put it bluntly, she did not take well what I said to her. Now, now it's any wonder. See, See, I, I, my boys had grown up knowing that when I spoke to them, I, I, I meant them well. I, I had their best interests in mind. See, she hadn't grown up that way. See, she, she had had authority figures in her life fail her over and over again. And, and when she had her mom tell her to stand there and don't move while I beat you, don't cry, don't, don't say a word, you just take it while I beat you. She knew at the heart of her hearts that that wasn't for her best interest. Later on when her mom in junior high had her selling drugs to classmates, she knew that that was wrong and that, that, that her best interest wasn't in mind. So, so it took her a long time to decide that when I spoke to her, that when I said something to her, that she could believe it, she could trust it, that she could take that with reverent submission or take it well, here's, here, here's the reality. The first cost of discipleship is that we have to have submission, reverent submission, or, or, or in essence, what we have to do is take well what God says to us. See, Jesus took well what the Father had asked Him to do. Now, now he prayed, God, if there's any other way, this doesn't make sense. This is going to be hard. I don't know that I really want to go to the cross. This is going to hurt. This is going to, but, but he, he took well that God said, this is the only way. This is the plan. This is what you have to do. Jesus took it well. So now how does that apply to us? If we're going to mature in Christ, then we have to hear what God's word says to us, whether we like it, or don't like it, whether we agree with it or don't agree with it, whether whether it's popular in our world today or not, we have to hear what God says and take it well. See, we are living in a world that increasingly 
takes the it's taking the moral fabric of God's teaching and instruction for us, and not looking at God with reverent submission. We're in a world that's not taking well His word, but instead is looking to the world with reverent submission and taking well the misguided teaching of moral relativism. Now, now I'm going I'm to speak pretty bluntly on a couple things here this morning. But but before I say what I'm going to say next, I, I want you to understand a couple things. I'll, I'll talk about one now and one here in a second. Please understand, first of all, that Jesus, Jesus hung out with, Jesus uh, loved, and Jesus oftentimes was more comfortable with people who did not take well what his father said. Jesus, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, and he was comfortable with them. And, and the reality is they were living their lives and not taking well what, what God said. They, they weren't taking with reverent submission what God said. The truth is, now take this however you want to, want to take it, the, the, the truth is Jesus, if he, if he was here today, I think still would be more comfortable with people who don't take well what God's Word says. I think Jesus would be comfortable hanging out with people that see the world differently than we do. Hopefully, we are, are mature enough and hopefully we are, are righteous enough that He would like to hang out with us as well. But, but Jesus loved people. Jesus built relationship with people. Jesus accepted people. And Jesus wanted to lead people to a sanctified life who didn't take well what He was saying. So, so understand that first and foremost, that that that's that those people people that don't take well his teaching is the type of people that Jesus loved to hang out with. Church, we are we are losing some cultural battles in the world, and uh, and this is really what I want to speak to because I I want to I want to just throw this little challenge out there. We're, we're losing those same cultural battles in the church as well. See, I think even in the church. We're not taking well what God's word says. Now let me let me be clear here. Uh, let me as as I speak, I want you to know I'm talking to the church. I'm I'm going to be real narrow here. We're, I'm talking to believers. Uh, see, I don't expect the world that doesn't take well God's word that that has no relationship with God. I don't expect the world to have the same moral groundings that we do in the church. In fact, if, if you don't believe that God is God, if you don't believe that He created us to be like Him, then, then of course you're going to see the world differently. Now, now I know this, this is a, a, something we've talked about in, 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 recent, in recent days in, in our world. Uh, if, if you don't know who God is, if you don't care about God, then, then, then why not kill a baby? What, why care about an unborn life? Even even up to the the the, the ninth month, even up to the, the moment of birth, if if God is not worthy in your mind, in in the world's mind, if if God is not worthy of reverent submission, then then why why worry about that? In fact that's that's the argument the world has. I don't expect the world to have the same values when it comes to sexuality as we do in the church. If God isn't God, then do what you want to do sexually. If God isn't God, then whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, do it. 
don't deny yourself. So if you don't believe God is God, then then your sexual passion is your God. That just described our world today. Your sexual passion is your God. Do what you want. Now, now please understand. I'm not I'm not talking to the world here. Let me talk to the church. Let me talk to those of us who know Jesus. So I'm, I read this actually last week in our, our dedication service. Psalm 139 says this, verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, how can you hear God's Word. Church, how can we hear God's Word and not realize that every life, every life, no, no, no matter who they are, no matter the color of their skin, where they're from, their nationality, if they're born or unborn, how can we not understand that every life is treasured and every life is ordained by God? You see, if we if we take well what God's Word says, if if we believe what Scripture says, if we have reverent submission for what God's Word teach us, teaches us, then how can we arrive at any other conclusion? Church, church, it's sad to say, let me just point this out, and maybe I'm as much to blame of this as anyone. It's sad to say that in the church we have almost given up when it comes to sexual purity. We have thrown in the towel and we've accepted with reverent submission what the world tells us. Not, not just in the world, but in the church. We basically said, well, there's no, no morals that we have to stand on that separate us. If it makes you feel good, if you're happy about it, if, if it, if you don't want to have to wait, then go ahead and do it. Church, we, we have forgotten what scripture tells us. First Corinthians 6 says, flee from sexual immorality. Do not do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Well, well does God still love you? Well, of course. Can God forgive? Well, He can and He does. But you'll never be mature in Christ unless you submit to Him. Philippians 2.5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1.15 and 16 says, But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. We are called to be like Jesus. When we choose to be like the world, we're missing the mark. Now, now lest, you, lest you fear I'm picking on anyone in fact, I, I may have stepped on some people's feet. I want you to know I've stepped on my own as well. Lest, lest you, you, you fear, as I pointed out, a couple specific areas that, that, that I'm jumping on those. The reality is, is, is when we choose to do what God's called us to do, we're not listening to Him. If God is calling you to serve and you aren't serving, then you're not taking well what He said. If, if God calls you to give and you're not giving, then you're not taking well what God is calling you to do. If if you aren't controlling your tongue, then you aren't taking well what God is calling you to do. If if you have gifts and you're not using them as God has called to the, you to use them, then you aren't taking well 
His teaching. We can't be mature in Christ unless we are submissive to Him. And finally, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this, this idea. Uh, he was obedient. Verse 8 says, Son, though He was, He learned obedience. Jesus could have never got to obedience if He, had, if he hadn't first taken well what God said. If He didn't believe what God said, He never would, would have been obedient. But we have to get there as well. Or... Are you a baby? Well, let me let me rephrase that. Am I a baby? But far too many times spiritually, I'm I'm an infant. Far too many times, I don't want to take the risk or pay the cost. But I've got news. Good news: we don't have to stay there. Are are, are you ready to move away from spiritual milk, from the simple, important truths of the gospel? to the meat of the gospel where your faith is impacted where your faith changes you where your faith touches other lives are you a baby well you don't have to stay there god can move you on to maturity